Hello there, and welcome to the Glam Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Muldowney, aka The Glam Reaper. On this podcast, we talk love, life, and loss. We laugh, we'll cry, and we'll celebrate your stories. You are unique, there is no one like you, and there will be no one like you ever. So get in touch and share with us your story. I just want us to have a lovely chat because honestly, it's great meeting other females in the industry or the community or whatever we like to call ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> because happy. everybody has what specifically <laughs> they want to be they referenced. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. I mean, what do you call it? Actually, that's a good question. Is it community, industry? How do you feel? I refer to it as industry, but I'm open to just about anything. I I don't get, by no means am I offended when people call it something else. I just say I work in the funeral industry because to me that covers all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's so important to be honest, because I think by calling it an industry, we're allowing it to be what it is, which is people make money from it it is you know it's a caring industry but like the medical and like all the other caring industries money is made from it profit is made from it people have form businesses so on that note tell me give me an intro as to who you are why i found you and (laughs) yeah just give me give me some give me some of the good stuff allison (laughs) it's best for me to start at the beginning when i was growing up I thought that I wanted to be some, like a medical examiner coroner. I was always fascinated with the human body, how things worked. And when I was in high school, I ended up needing a job. And I grew up on a dairy farm. My family was getting ready to sell the dairy cattle that we had had and just crop farm at that point. And my dad was going to work for Cornell instead of keeping up with our dairy farm anymore. And the local funeral director in the town that I grew up in went to church with my family and said, well, she can come start here cleaning, doing paperwork, kind of all of the traditional female roles of here, you can check this out. Mm -hmm. And I ended up helping with embalming, which looking back is completely illegal at 15 years old. (laughs) What's a little legality? What's a... I was doing hair and makeup and was working calling hours and I liked in that experience I found how much I liked working with people. It was that world of being able to work with the human body and make a beautiful picture for somebody to say goodbye to and help people along the way and it really met everything that I was looking for at that point in time and still does. And. I went to college for mortuary science. I wanted to get my bachelor's degree. And I went to my guidance counselor and said, can you help me find a four-year college that does this? And she was mortified. Like, where do I even begin to look? Are you sure this is what you wanna do? Where do we find this? And I got connected with Gannon University and went there for three years and then went to Simmons Institute of Mortuary Science in Syracuse for a year. And I loved it. And I ended up working in Ithaca for six months doing my residency before I took a position to finish out my residency at Ness Sibley and Covert Funeral Homes. I was here for four years and the owner approached me and said, I'm ready to retire. Do you have any interest in buying? 
<laughs> I was shocked. I, when he initially said, I want to sit down and talk to you, I'm like, did I do something? Do I have a Yeah. <laughs> like, I, what's happening? And he said, I, I want to sell. Are you interested? And I went home to my husband and I said, what do you think? This has been the ultimate goal eventually, but at 26, did I think I was going to have the opportunity? Absolutely not. This industry is competitive. It's very family-based, unless you get into the corporate side of things. And he said, why not? This is what the end goal was. We'll figure it out. And it'll be eight years on March 1st that I've owned both funeral homes. So wow. Wow. And what age are you? If you don't mind sharing. I am 34. 34 and eight years owning not one, but two funeral homes. Yes. So. <laughs> well, well done you. Good girl. Absolutely incredible. And just for our listeners, because we do have a mismatch of listeners to the Glam Reaper. So we do have both industry, as we have both already clarified, we're very comfortable with the word. We do have industry people listening in, but we also do have what I call Joe Public. Just to give them a bit of a backstory, because it's, I know it's not the same in necessarily every state and every country, and you know, you don't need to be licensed in certain countries and all of the different things that are out there. But when you talk about residency, I know the majority of the people, and it was the same for me, I'm only in this business 10 years, I am not a licensed funeral director, uh, nor will I ever be, or I don't plan to be, should I say, at this point. When I hear the word residency, I mean, I'm laughing because literally last night I just watched the latest season of The Resident, um, which is a medical drama. First episode, have you seen it? Yes. I couldn't cope with the first episode. It was all on COVID. It was heartbreaking. It really just showed, like, I mean, I know, and there's, there's real life documentaries, and I know this is fiction, but it just gets to your gut when you realize this, is, this isn't fiction. This is yeah. real life. Yeah. This is what people are dealing with. You know, frontline workers are dealing with losing their friends, their colleagues, while they're trying to look out for everybody else. Oh, it was just horrifying. My point is that that's where people get that word is, you know, your residency in a hospital. They think of it in the medical term, right? Yeah. So we've all watched George Clooney. We've, you know, we've watched the casualty. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We've watched the casualty, which I think is a UK. I don't think they have it over here, a medical show, but that's typically where we learn these terminologies and that's where the medical field. So give us a slight example of the, the steps that you had to do. I mean, you gave us a, a, a short one there, but if somebody out there is very interested in the funeral industry as a career and wants to go ahead and be a licensed funeral director, what are kind of five steps that they have to go through sure. without fail? So the first step is you do have to have a degree of any four, and it does not have to be a four-year degree. It can be a two-year degree. I know that there are a lot of programs specifically in New York State that you can even complete online. Typically, it's a two-year degree in mortuary science. That's the first step, which at that point, they once you've completed all of the courses there and finished final there, they will pass your information along to the international conference where you can get registered to take your national board exam. That's a national exam throughout the US that everyone takes. And specifically in New York State, once you've passed that portion, there's two sides. There's an art side and a science side. Once you've passed those two pieces, 
at that point you can do your residency, which you apply with the health department through the state of New York. And you have to do a year residency underneath a licensed funeral director and account for X number of embalmings and hours served. You can't make arrangements on your own. You help with every aspect and it opens the door for you to be able to go on removals on your own, but get assistance with embalming, making arrangements. You can start to take the lead on doing funeral services and making arrangements until you can take your actual licensing test in New York, which in New York embalming and directing is all one license. Some states you can pick which form of license you want, but in New York, it's all wrapped into one and nine months into your residency, you can take your licensing exam and actually get your funeral directing license to go out on your own and be a full-blown funeral director. So how long, so say I wanted to start today mm-hmm. and I had the degree, so got that in the bag yeah. and I wanted to start today. At what, how long exactly from today would it take for me to become a licensed funeral director? So that is, I actually have somebody that I am in training right now. So he had a previous degree in business. He did have to gather some more courses. It took him a year to do everything online in order for him to get registered to be able to take his national board exam. So it took him, it'll took him a year of schooling and then it will be a year of residency. So he's going to do, become a licensed funeral director in approximately two years. Okay, great. And then you buy your own home and then you become Allison. (laughs) (laughs) Then you just start like, you know, get the shopping bag, throw them in. I'll have another two. Sure, go on, give us another two. What's what's the difference? What? That's how it works, guys. <laughs> so, if you find yourself unemployed because of COVID, check out the funeral industry. Yes. Sorted, no problem. But in all reality, it is. And people joke, and I know they've joked about this with you, and they've definitely joked about it with me, that it's not a dying business and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And you're never going to run out of people or whatever. You know, it is a sad fact. We both, you know, we're laughing. And, and, and that's this is one of the things that I love about the business that I don't think Joe Public understands is that we are all human beings at the end of the day that have just chosen a caring profession. I mean, I was listening to another podcast last night, actually, in the funeral industry, and I would love to get this gentleman on onto the show. But he was talking about how, well, actually, the entire podcast was talking about the impact that going to scenes of crimes, murders, crashes and taking the bodies. That is something even I hadn't thought about, to be honest, as most people listening know I'm a memorial planner, I have a cremation jewellery line, I write books and I speak on funerals and the topics and stuff, but I am not a licensed funeral director and as I've said, (laughs) I'm sounding like I'm pushing this in, um, nor do I ever plan to be, because I just know I could not cope with that. I could not cope with embalming, I could not cope with pulling a child out of a car wreck and I just I couldn't cope with it. I can just about, I'm a firm believer that we're all born to do 
certain things in life and I, I could never I mean I joke about this regularly the movie Bridesmaids you know the, where she's driving and she's got all the Labradors the puppies in the back yeah. that's me if I ever had to work with, with animals that would be me like I could never work in an adoption facility they just all come over with me so I do think we all have our boundaries that we can and can't do and for me I definitely have those, those types but listening to this podcast last night it really hit home as to the level that funeral directors really have to internalize the likes of New York City like 9-11 I can't imagine and just, just in a mass fatality situation like that and you it's a one time it's such an intimate experience with what we do with every family that we work with we're asking them to share information with us I'm in a small community a lot of people I've built relationships and know a large number of the people but you're asking them to share personal information or you're trying to learn 87 years worth of a life in a two-hour conversation and actually the funeral directors when they were speaking about how these situations impacted their lives and the way they then went on to father their children and manage risk with their families and things because you can't walk away from say a text driving accident and immediately not take your phones off your teenage kids and be like if I ever catch you texting and driving I'll kill you myself you know I like you can't it's going to impact you so I mean one of the funeral directors was saying that a child had died from playing in leaves autumn fall leaves because of a fungus that was lying a deadly fungus that was lying beneath the leaves and he said he refuses to allow his children he actually kind of made light of it because he said you know I taught my kids are kind of can I go out and play dad he's how about another hour of Netflix (laughs) which is contrary to yeah 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 exactly here's here's the iPad again um but these things do impact and and a bit like a nurse and a doctor going to work every day uh or a priest or a therapist any of these people their clients impact them and one of the things that I actually wanted to talk to you about Alison today was um, they touched on working in a small community now granted I am from Dublin in Ireland which is very different uh, we do funerals quite differently to say for example down in rural Ireland where they're still more into the waking and the Irish the old way of doing things but a bit like New York City Dublin had to move with the times there's more people so a bit like my local priest wouldn't have a clue who I was and so that was why I became a little against having my funeral in my Catholic church it doesn't take away from my religion but I want people speaking about me on when I'm on my well I'm, I'm gonna, I was about to say I'm on my deathbed I'm already dead but I want people who know me who know how to pronounce my name and all that sort of stuff one of the things that the guys said was that one of the difficulties in living in a rural area or an area that's a smaller community is you grow up with these people you know who they are and so then all of a sudden when they're on your embalming table I just I mean can you talk to about anything like that has that has that been an experience you've ever had has anybody you know ever been on your books as such yes it I've been in this community now for almost 12 years and it's I haven't had to deal directly with anybody that is a good friend of mine but I've worked with grandparents and I've worked with families 
I think where it has impacted me the most is I've worked with several families who've lost children. And I have a son that's almost four and an 18 month old. Prior to that, I always try to be sensitive with everybody, but there's those added things. I had a mother, it's so important to be able to hold a baby and rock a baby. And I said, I need to bring my rocker over. Like, I wanna get this baby ready. You need to hold your daughter and you need to rock your daughter. I want so much to make that experience. I try to offer people as much alone time as I can. And it's made me more aware of what would I, I don't want to go there and ever think about it, but what opportunity would I want? And I'm finding myself more and more. 12 years ago, I always was telling myself, I need to be stoic, you shouldn't show emotion. You need to be there. And as I've gotten more and more inclined and embraced by the community here, I have found it's okay if I step aside in the other room when and need to take a break and I'm crying and can hold them and embrace them and say I'm empathize. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I'm here for you and I want to empathize with you and know I can I want to be there to help you. I am fortunate enough also, my father died almost three years ago and he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and they said, are you, are you going, do you want to get your dad ready? And I said, I, I do not. The other funeral director that's been on staff here at the funeral home for 25 years, I said, I need, I want you to take care of him. I don't want to do the embalming. I don't want to do that piece. I. He came to my parents' home when he died, and I said, I want to be the one to help wrap him up and help him out of the house. But after that, I can't do that physical piece of seeing him on the table and doing the embalming. That was my line of it's too close and needed to turn that over to somebody else. I'm so sad that you had to go through that at all, but it's you've, you've hit on so many, so many crucial points there, Alison, that there is this, and it's actually known as an English thing, of a stiff upper lip. And it's interesting because I came into this business 10 years ago when I lost a couple of friends of mine too soon. Interestingly, there was one who he drowned in Australia, and I don't think his family won't mind me, me saying this, but he drowned in Australia and I was just heartbroken. I was heartbroken for the loss of my friend. I was heartbroken for the loss of my best friend's youngest brother. So I was, you know, I knew this family very well. And I was so heartbroken for the parents to have lost their youngest child. And I remember walking in and is typical, as is typical in Ireland, I walked in and his mom was just one of these bundles of joy, just such a light. I mean, she still is and she's just, I love to see her when I go home. And she just immediately greeted me with warmth and brightness, but I knew it was masking what was going on. Um, anyway, she immediately brought me into the room where he was showing. I didn't realize at the time that, you know, cause I was so focused on giving her my condolences that I was confronted with his body before I knew what was happening. And I'm sad about that now because 
I can't get that image out of my head. Yeah. And I do think it's interesting what you brought up about embalming your father. It's happened to me a couple of times now where people, because I do what I do, assume that I want to see the body of a loved one, an uncle. I'm I, I'm escorted and I, I now I know, I know my boundaries now. I'm like, thank you, but no thank you. I'd like to remember them laughing. That's just and it's not I don't think it'll be like that for everybody um, when it comes to my own parents I think that might change for me but like that we all have our boundaries we all have what we do and we don't want and I think what you did for that mother was incredible and not only because you did it for her but the fact that you took aside your own dealing with your own idea of loss and you actually empathized so far as you thought, what would I want if I was her? And that you offered that, because I don't think that happens enough in this industry. I don't think, I think sometimes we, and it can be through exhaustion, through corporate trainings and things of get the sales, get the sales, where I think that's where funeral directors get sometimes that CD media image that's painted that were cowboys just trying to sell for a quick yes. book. That's not the case. Most of the funeral directors I know, that's not the case. And that's honestly why I started this podcast was to show more so Joe Public, but equally other industry people, what is out there and the different stories and tell the stories because I mean, I'm hoping anybody listening to that story got as choked up as I did because and that's one or well, two stories there you told of I can only imagine the hundreds that you have it's just incredible and I think more people need to drop the stoic the stiff upper lip and embrace the fact that you're human whether you're female whether you're male whether you're transgender whatever yeah we are human at the end of the day it's okay to be a part of the community grieving I so absolutely communities grieve so I think everything ties back to COVID these days it, it does. so difficult with COVID because people want to bring food to your house. They want to, people want to hug, they want to touch, and you want to have that intimate peace. And I've become at peace with myself of, yes, I need to stay composed, but I can show emotion and be a part of the grieving community and not need to be that stoic person in the background that shows no emotion. You know, I, I'm a celebrant as well. And some people will say to me, oh, but what if you're at a service and it's really emotional? What do you do? And I'm like, I show emotion. I mean, I don't break down and I'm not wailing and I'm not sort yeah. of, you know, the band queencha of the Irish wakes. I don't sort of start lamenting or anything. But I, I, if I have to, I'll pause the service, take a moment. You know, I don't burst into floods of tears, but sometimes I'll get choked up and honestly those services have been the ones that i have reached more people touched more people because it's real it's yeah. not play tears it's not let's that one of the stories and i'm probably told this on this pod show pod pod show pod, maybe that's the new word pod show <laughs> welcome to the glamour for pod show <laughs> but i was lying in the lying in the death dentist chair 
and my dentist, the dentist nurse, you know, had my mouth open and was away she was doing things. No fillings. Thank you very much. I'm still proud of that at 38 years of age. No fillings. Woo. And she laughs every time I go in. I'm like, do I get a gold star? She's like, we really should get a chart for you. I know I'm a child. But I was lying in the chair and they know what I do. And you probably find this too when you're socially out and you maybe tell people what you do they either are aghast or they lean in because they want to know more and you might find they tell you open up and start telling you stories and so in this particular instance my dental nurse started telling me the story of how when her father passed away she used a very well-known funeral director in Dublin, they're, uh, I don't want to say a chain, but there's, they, you know, there's two notable families really in Dublin. I don't know if you've ever been to Dublin, but check out our funeral home. No, yeah. <laughs> I should start doing tours. But anyway, she used this funeral home and she said, and of course I can't respond because my mouth is gaping. <laughs> She's, you know, working away at it. But she started telling me how she really got frustrated with the funeral director because she said, Jen, he's the exact same age as you, if not younger. And I was like, in my head, I'm steady on now. He might not be that young, much younger than me. But she said, he was just so bland. She said his facial expressions was nearly ashen. And she said, he kept leaning in and whispering to me, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry for, you know, or like whispering to tell me. And she said, I wanted to grab him, shake him and scream. I'm fine as in I'm not fine but I'm not gonna break like please yeah. talk to me normal yeah and I'm not saying this works for everybody I'm just these are just stories we're relaying everybody is different and I that is if anybody knows anything about me that is one thing that I 100% believe but my point is that you need to meet people where they're at when you get somebody in front of you you have to size up the situation is this somebody who wants to talk about this as if we're having drinks is this somebody who i need to whisper with that's a part of the job it's a skill absolutely you need to be able to read the situation and yes amount of information and emotion that you can get through i people will say well how long how long is this arrangement conference going to take it could yes. take 45 minutes. It could take four and a half hours. It's all dependent on how much information people want to share, people's comfort level. And you can't have the same conversation with somebody who's an executor of an estate, who has no relationship with this person, wants to sign cremation documents and get in and out. Yeah, absolutely. That's so different than sitting down with children that the matriarch of the family just died and they have six kids and 27 grandchildren and 40 great grandchildren and they're all in the room (laughs) pre-covid yeah everybody has their own (laughs) yes oh those are fun yeah so Mm. much of being able to read a situation and respond appropriately to how to react to a situation and it's that's not something that happens overnight, I don't think. And it's a yeah. skill that can be built. And I think it's something that you need to continue to work on. And Absolutely. I think good funeral directors need to be good at is reading people and being able to assess a situation. Absolutely. I think it's one of the most crucial aspects of a funeral career especially if you're going to be that person that families meet. If you're not, if you're going to be in the embalming room the entire of your career, that's something and and there is a place for everybody there is a place 
for every person um, in this. There's a place for the janitors of funeral homes. There is still a certain type that of person, I feel, whether it's down to a janitor or the admin, the office manager, yeah. there are still types, there are still certain things, but that person who's electing to be in front of the family absolutely needs to have empathy, compassion, and and like that, be able to read the situation of, okay, this person is a one and done, just even, and I, I'm sure you're probably finding it now, sadly, during COVID, we I do think we are becoming a little bit more comfortable with the self-isolating and the working from home and the, oh, do I need to come in to talk about that? No, you can email me. Great. It's a time saver, let's be honest, yeah. uh, especially in Manhattan, where I don't want to spend an hour in traffic trying to get in and out of the city. You know, can you email us me? Great. And I do think that COVID and other technology and all these other things are leading to new innovations within the industry. We, one of my guests is a lady who has set up a direct cremation system. Now, it's she's not taking the compassion element about of it out that we that you lose that human connection. She's just making it a little bit more transparent and a little bit easier for people to do what we all do now, which is get on our phones, get on our laptop yeah. and make our decisions, including our purchasing decisions. And as we kind of said at the start, it is an industry. It is a purchase. It is a very large purchase you're making. And I know for me, um, Alison, when I first started 10 years ago, one of the, I was a wedding planner and a party planner. And one of the most fascinating things I found about the industry was that somebody would sign, and this is Ireland, so a little bit different, but somebody would sign a check for 5,000 euro without asking who the suppliers were. Were there cheaper or different options? What were the options? I was like, this is insane. You know, a wedding for, well, you wouldn't get a wedding for 5,000, even in Ireland, but a wedding or any party for 5,000, I would have to have like at least three options of the caterer, all these. Yes, I want to take food first. (laughs) Insane, insane. Now, you know, I don't think there's many people out there who want to try the casket out before they buy it. But what we're talking about is we're making it very black and white, but essentially it is a purchase and it is a large purchase, especially today yeah it absolutely is and it's a one-time purchase you can't go back and redo it i I, (laughs) you don't want to return the casket not not something you want to if you want to even although do you know what and she'll laugh when she hears this my mother will try even if she's the one in it she will try we joke about this back home that my mom buys you know she'll buy a coach buy a pair of shoes she'll do whatever back when the shops were open in ireland and without fail, two days later, we'd be like, did you return it? She'd be like, yeah, I just, I mean, it just wasn't for me. I'm like, why do you even buy them in the first place? It's like she gets a buzz, a kick out of returning. So if anyone's going to attempt an afterlife return of a casket, it'll be my mother, I swear. But no, it is, I have to say, COVID is definitely changing the way uh, we're doing things. Are you finding in your two funeral homes, <laughs> are you finding that people are pre-planning more? Is there a bit more of a fear mentality? Um, are people doing direct cremations as we've seen a massive increase of that? Are people doing direct cremations, direct burials with the hope of doing a memorial later? Or are they just sticking with? We are, we're seeing Yes to all of those questions. Right. Okay. We're seeing an increase in people wanting to do prearrangements, and we're seeing both. I have a 
facet of people who want to do everything online. And we've done a massive upgrade of our website to be able to reach those people who I want to click a button, fill out a form, it gets to you, it's on file, I at least can have that peace of mind. Great. And we still have a large group of people that want to come meet in person. And we want to make sure these arrangements are done. I'm meeting with a lot of people in their 50s and 60s who have buried their parents and their parents have either had no plan or have had everything prearranged and see it as such a valuable asset that they want to make sure it's done. Absolutely. It's such an essential thing. And it's something I promote on nearly every episode is get out there and pre-plan. Even if you do nothing else other than on a piece of paper, write burial or cremation, name the funeral director, like name whether you want to have a, a, a memorial or not, name something, just five things. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be even coming into a funeral home and sitting down. Jot it down. Tell your best friend. Tell someone what your thoughts are so that yeah. it's coming for all of us so that someone yeah. knows something. Exactly. So that somebody knows. You couldn't have hit that. That's pre-planning. So somebody knows something. And it's, it's so true because... Uh, and again, I hope I'm not repeating myself in this podcast. I probably regurgitated a lot of my stories, but I, I sat down and did a pre-plan with my mum. And it was just a pre-plan like the ones I do where we go through the details. It's not with a particular funeral home, where we go through the details and the memorial. And what I found fascinating, and this encourages people to pre-plan when I tell them this story, because they're like, I never thought of it like that, is... I sat down with my mom and there's only me, my brother and my parents and we're all still alive and healthy, thank God. I know if either anything happened to anybody in my family, because I do what I do, it would fall to me. I'm the event planner, right? And so I would organize their funeral based on my relationship with them, based on my thoughts, right? Now, obviously I would ask for input, but I would do it predominantly what I think is right. Um, And what I found interesting was that when I sat down and and asked my mum certain questions, she totally blew me away. I was like, wait, what? You you don't want those flowers? You want these flowers? Uh, She wants Rod Stewart, Maggie May played. Uh, I was like, what? Your name's not even Maggie. That makes no sense. Like, what's the relevance of that? I've never even heard you play that song. She said, well, my friends and when we're out, mind blown. I was like, that, and, and to me, as such a big fan of pre-planning, that's the most important thing is if you plan it from your point of view, you're the, and they say, you know, a funeral is for the living and it's for the, you know, or it's for the dead. There's, I know there's lots of schools of thought on that. I personally think it's for both. Every person in the venue will get a chunk of my funeral. Like every, every person will be like, that was Jen. Or yeah, that you you got you hit her on the head. Yeah, that's her. Or whatever it might be, it'll make sense to them. Whereas, have you ever been to those funerals where you're sitting there, at, like to, with somebody you might have known or whatever, and you're like, oh wow, I didn't. Okay, I didn't know that. Or or the priest gets their name wrong. Yeah. Or it's the music is those, like oh they printed off a template and insert name. Insert name. Yeah, insert name. Insert you know it's, random it's music. Bad. That, yeah, funerally type music. Da, 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 da. 
just disastrous like oh I couldn't think of anything worse and if, if you know listen if that's if a generic funeral is what you want this is not the show for you I can tell you that much because there's no generic people there is not one every no. single one our thumbprint is different our tongue is different I learned that that was amazing to me we've so many different elements yeah. to us that make us completely unique what is it it's like a one in four trillion chance of even getting born yeah that's insane <laughs> mind blown mic drop <laughs> um but yeah so i just think pre-planning it only you know you the best only you know who your four best friends are only you know that your relationship with your mother would warrant you playing i mean for me it's very cornily i would absolutely play wind beneath my wings if i was to die before my mother I uh, she absolutely is the wind beneath my wings yeah. and I know that's a very funeral-esque song but that's okay I mean that's okay as long as it means something yeah so I just think if, if people if we do nothing you know if you do nothing coming off this today take me and Alison's advice two ladies two ba- lady bosses take our advice and do write five things down over the dinner table tell your family I want to be buried cremated uh, you know use alkaline hydrolysis I want to be composted or whatever the latest eco thing is just you know yeah you want to know what do you want said yes yes that's a big one that's a huge one actually I've been all day working on an obituary for the New York Times and obviously when you work with notable people there's certain elements of press you know PR that's associated with all that so I'm certainly going to have when when I die I'm going to have a PR team <laughs> send out a press release and they'll probably be like yeah we really don't care <laughs> I mean, who was she? We really don't care. But it's okay, because by that stage, I'll be the Beyonce of <laughs> of podcasting. That's the plan, Alison. I and I'm going to be able to say I talked to the Beyonce of podcasting. Absolutely. And Alison, same for you. Like, when you when you eventually, you know, croak it, you're gonna, your PR team will be like, well, she was owner of one million funeral homes. So, you know, there's a milestone. <laughs> think big think big uh no i listen I, I i'm obviously lots of joking here but you know that's how you keep it light and um but tell us what are the plans you've obviously are so young a female funeral homeowner as well which can i just tell the general public kind of unheard of if if there's other funeral home owners that are ladies out there or basically just that aren't male please get in touch yeah yeah definitely hit me up because we are few and far between especially on the owner standpoint of sides i and the million dollar question that i get i would be a millionaire if i could have a dollar for every time someone asks me this well so what does your husband do and i'm like he is wonderful and he is my support system but from the aspect here he really doesn't he he has stepped into a role and helps with some office items and financial pieces but you will never you won't see him i yeah any of the hands-on pieces and it is pretty wild and with for a long period of time even before i had owned the funeral home people would just automatically assume are you the secretary or the girl that just comes in and does hair and makeup you're the administrative assistant it's like nope i I, I do, being in a small community, part of what we do, I wear all the hats. I, 
I do the removals from the hospital's homes. I do the embalming. I'm at the arrangement conference. Like I'm the one-stop shop here. It's part of operating funeral homes in a small community. Is absolutely, absolutely. You have to be everything. You need to wear all those hats. I, yeah, it's it is. Do you know it's incredible the glass ceiling in the funeral industry. It's incredible. Like. It's mind-boggling because historically women were the caretakers. Um, Historically, we were the ones that sort of started it effectively and then it became more men had to get involved. I mean, back home in Ireland, it was the women who washed the bodies, who did the old school embalming. It wasn't embalming at all. It was basically just caring for the body. It is. It's mind-blowing. But I'm absolutely delighted uh, to hear of your success and I will be following it for sure. And um, any female interns or anybody looking to have a role model, I think I'll I'll definitely be sending them your way. I think it's incredible to see somebody just making their way in the world and just making making it happen and in a very 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 male dominated industry yeah and i would love to talk with anybody who is an owner or specifically wants to be an owner especially on the female side of things and yeah unique i'm a first generation funeral director it's not a business it's no one in my family's in this business because that's the other chain that i have found of how it ends up falling is my great grandfather was, so I, my grandfather was, my father was, now I am. Yeah. And it's unique to find standalone first generation, especially standalone first generation female. You know, female. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I applaud you massively. And unfortunately, I have to cut us off. Thank you so, so, so much for coming on the show, Alison. It was an Thank absolute you. pleasure. I- Thanks for tuning in to the Glam Reaper podcast. I hope you got some little nuggets of gold from today's podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Muldowney, aka the Glam Reaper.